Sometimes we feel paralyzed by fear and body hatred. In order to feel better about ourselves and live the life we really want to manifest, we have to own up to our difficult feelings and self-sabotaging thoughts and behaviors. We all enter this world naked, and now it's time to feel good naked. No matter what your body size or your life circumstances, this is Feel Good Naked Radio, and your host is Lar Redmond. On this program, Lar will help you become more embodied, self-empowered, and mindful to take charge of whom you really are and to live the life you deserve to live. Now, here's your host, Lar Redmond. Hello and welcome back to Feel Good Naked Radio. I am your host, Lar Redmond, and I always enjoy listening to the intro to the show and I pick up on certain words and today self-sabotaging thoughts and behaviors, falling in love with a narcissist or being with a narcissist in some sort of intimate relationship, whether it's a family member or a friend or a lover or a spouse, is a crazy experience. And um, gosh, I've learned so much from this woman that I have today on the show, Lisa A. Romano. She really understands how the narcissist and the codependent have the most perfectly dysfunctional marriage. And when we had her on the show last time to speak about codependency, my mailbox blew up with all of you wanting her back to talk about narcissism because at the end of the show last time we touched on that lightly. So that's where we're going to go today. And if you don't know about Lisa Romano, She's a life coach who specializes in mentoring and coaching abused adult children from dysfunctional homes who feel stuck in their lives and are seeking to move beyond their painful pasts. Romano also coaches adults who find themselves feeling dissatisfied with their lives and who are finding it difficult to understand what beliefs or thought processes are preventing them from living a fulfilling life. She is also a best-selling author, popular YouTube vlogger, radio show host and speaker. Welcome back, Lisa. Thank you so much, Laura. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, so I I guess there's so much I want to get into. Um, Right off the bat, I just want to ask you to define the difference between self-love and narcissism, because I do think narcissism, narcissists, those words are used a lot in the culture. And I think when these terms get too pop or familiar, they're used incorrectly and they're overused without a deep understanding of what that really is. So what is the difference between the two? Well, in my opinion, right, I always start off with, in my humble opinion, self-love, I equate self-love with self-esteem. And people who have self-esteem, they feel good about themselves, but they don't feel better than, or they don't make it a point to you know, run away with the the thought that they are better than other people. So they're, you know, self-sufficient, they're individualized, they love what they do, they love their life, um, they're, you know, contributing to society, and they feel good. They have a direction, they have an eye, right? But this eye isn't to the exclusion of other people. So a mom who has self-esteem loves herself, but can also love her children. She can love what she wants to do, but she can also understand that her children have their own things, their own, their own things that they want to do. So, um, so self-esteem is all about 
loving who you are and having esteem for yourself and your individual self, but not at the exclusion of other people. Narcissism implies that you have no empathy for other people. So narcissism is about, I am better than you. I love myself and I am unable to love you and include you in that world. So there's a a huge, huge difference. And I think you're right. The word narcissism gets thrown around a lot. Um, And what I encourage people to do is think about it as a scale or as a spectrum. So, you know, NPD, people who are diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder, the statistics are that only 1% of the population has actual NPD. I don't agree with that. I think think that the, the problem with that statistic is that people who have narcissism don't know that they have a problem. So they're not running in to be diagnosed. So I, I'm not so sure that that's, a, it's, that's an accurate statistic. But in a nutshell, self-esteem means I can love me, but I can also love you and I can include you in my world. But a narcissist is unable to love anyone but themselves. So it's malignant self-love, like Sam Vaknin, the name of his book. That's malignant self-love. Mm, that's a great title. So when you say you don't know you're a narcissist, does any narcissist know that they're a narcissist? I, from what I understand, you know, psychological, psych, you know, um, psychopaths, they're aware that they're being manipulative. So a psychopathic narcissist is aware. I'm not so sure that they're aware that they're an absolute narcissist, but they're aware that they're manipulative, whereas a sociopathic narcissist isn't. Um, and so narcissists, you know, generally narcissists don't think that they're, they have a problem. They really, this is what makes it so maddening. They are convinced that they're right. Their feelings matter. You are wrong. The way you feel is wrong. Your perception is inaccurate. There's something yeah. wrong with you. So a narcissist really believes that they are completely within their right. And that's what makes it so maddening because when you go up against a narcissist, a real narcissist, they are so convincing. Yeah, but I want to get the listeners to understand back to the spectrum that mm-hmm. one one end of the spectrum is the psychopath that you just mm-hmm. referred to. Right. The other end or the middle or somewhere in between, I want you to qualify that a little bit. So now we're jumping into what happens in all of our lives. Maybe not everybody, but my gosh, I tend to attract narcissists. Mm-hmm. And I didn't get that till I understood that I'm a recovering codependent but my point is when you're looking at this pathology this Mm -hmm. thing we're jumping into where is that on the spectrum give us a range so that we're clear to the listeners that's not the psychopath and this is just what happens with one that has gone beyond normal narcissism or self-awareness well you know um, narcissists are generally antisocial you know, some of them are, you know, risk, tater, risk takers to the extreme. Um, they're criminals. And so you, most of the narcissists that we're going to bump into aren't serial killers. So um, the average narcissist or the garden variety narcissist is, let's say, all right, let's say we're women. We're talking about dating men, for instance. You know, a narcissist that we might bump into is somebody who's grandiose, somebody who um, gives the impression that he's got it all together. And if you listen to him carefully, he's better than everybody else. Um, people who don't like him are just jealous of him. Nothing is ever his fault. Um, that is 
generally that's what we're going to bump bump up against and they'll minimize us. So there is a garden variety narcissist, um, and I think that's a great term, who is mm-hmm. unable to meet you where you are. And where and on the other end of the spectrum is we've got narcissists that are criminals, that are murderers and serial killers and so on, or you know they're they're doing terrible terrible things and ending up on the news. But most of us are going to bump into a garden variety narcissist who lacks empathy, um, sees himself or herself as extremely special, and uses a bag of tricks to manipulate people into buying into this false image of themselves. And is not aware that they're doing that, so it's done seductively. Oh, yes, 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 absolutely. Because I think the seduction is Mm. what blinds the underbelly of what might be really happening. Mm -hmm. And so there is great, um, I mean, this is the thing. I think when the narcissist is shining their light on you and Mm -hmm. you are their desire, Mm -hmm. you are in their web. I called it a web in a description I was explaining to someone about when you start going into the web, you don't know you're going into it, but you are, and you're entering into a place that is very alluring at first. Oh, yeah. Well, it goes back to, and this is wh- why it's it. I do what I do. You know, I want to wake up kind, <laughs> you know, codependent people who are unaware that they have this need to feel seen. And it's when you happen upon a narcissist, you know, they make you feel seen, and you mm-hmm. feel like awesome finally somebody gets me you know he's he's he understands me he wants to know what i think he understands the way i feel and you're right it's very seductive and oxytocin is flowing you know and mm-hmm. finally all these wounds are beginning to seal up they're beginning to close at least you think so mm-hmm. and that's all part of the seduction because what a narcissist has to do is I, I think of whenever I think about a narcissist and a codependent, I think about a fishing hook and a fish Oof. and a, nar- a narcissist has to get the fish on, on the hook first. And once he gets you on the hook, I mean, if you think about fishing, these poor fish bite these lures in the water thinking that they're getting fed. And what a narcissist does is they show up they are alluring. They make you feel so sexy and so seen. And they're trying to get you on the hook. They're baiting you. And once they get you on that hook good, that's when everything begins to change. Because now they have what they need. They have power over you. They have power over you. It's almost like, you know, a mosquito. Before a mosquito bites you, they anesthetize you first so you don't feel the stinger. Cool. So. This is, they're anesthetizing you first before the, before these games can begin to play. You know, what's interesting is I had one of these very codependent narcissistic dynamics with a girlfriend mm-hmm. and it went, it was so intense. And mm-hmm. when I am thinking back over it through this lens, I want to just let everyone know it's not always a lover or a right. husband or a wife. It is sometimes you know, a girlfriend. And Mm -hmm. this woman had me so deep in her web. Mm -hmm. I, I've never experienced anything quite like it. Mm -hmm. And man, when it was over, it was brutal. And, Mm -hmm. and I, and I never, 
I never even felt as if she experienced the suffering that she caused mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. And then I realized, oh, man, that's the lack of empathy. Exactly. And that is so creepy because then all of a sudden you think, what was that? Mm-hmm. I thought it was real. I thought it was love. I thought it was connection. I thought it was friendship. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, it wasn't any of that. Right. Or was it's- it? I mean, in their way in their way of living it out, they're... Do they think that's my friendship? Oh, well, it's over, and I discard that person, or I never had the friendship because I'm a narcissist. You know, it's so interesting because I've had, you know, a, a rec- as a recovering codependent, I've run the gamut. I've had friends, coworkers, lovers, you know, a husband, um, and so family members. And so I've run the gamut, and I've, and I've, every time I ask myself exactly what you're asking, what the hell was that? Um, and I, I've come to the conclusion, again, this is just my humble opinion, is that they're not, they think they're invested, but they're not. They're unaware that we are in their lives because we're serving a purpose. And the minute we start to buck up against them or question them or hold them accountable, we become, you know, um, annoying to them. Like, oh, it's just not working anymore, you know. Um, and so it's very easy for them to discard us. So I have to presume that it wasn't real, that it was some type of, it was a relationship, but it was based on pure dysfunction and where I was giving so much thinking, let me care about this person. Let me show up for this person. That really wasn't happening for them. So it was never what I thought it was. And that's, I think that's one of the hardest things to recover from. I mean, I've had clients who are married for 40 years, and in one case, her husband went out and started a company and made her the CFO, and she didn't even know it. And just the company went bust. She ended up in court, and it, she tur- it turned out that he was having multiple affairs. He literally had another life. And when she called him out on it and tried to hold him accountable, he was done. He was just done. Um, and turned it all around on her, told her she was crazy, even when he was caught red-handed. And so, you know, working with her, what was the most difficult thing for her was, what does this mean? I have spent 40 years with this man, and it was all a lie? And the other thing that people have to understand is that narcissists can fake empathy. So they know how to appear, especially in the beginning, to understand what you're feeling. So it's, it's quite, quite a dynamic well, I think that's why those two personalities blend so dangerously well together mm-hmm. because it is this um, very complicated process to get there where you end up so deep that you don't even know how deep you are until mm-hmm. that moment where you feel completely unseen or mm-hmm. unaccepted or rejected based on any sort of need. Mm-hmm. So once that codependence starts to say, hey, mm-hmm. that narcissist, you're right, it completely backfires, it completely mm-hmm. stings, it comes at you like a, you know, a poison. And mm-hmm. then you're like, wait, 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 what just happened? Mm-hmm. What just happened? I said what I needed, I said what I felt. Mm-hmm. And I just made, I, I was just made to feel like nothing I said was even possibly accurate or believable. And then you feel crazy. That's what you happens. You feel crazy. 
Yep. And then, um, you know, and, and then, you never get the validation. You never get that person ever coming back and saying, hey, I thought about it. You were right. That was really screwed up that I did that that way or I get what you felt. No. Never. They, no, it's it's complete domination. You know, narcissists are bully, bullies, and this is about domination. This is dominant behavior. This is bullying behavior. And so it's a one-up game. So their agenda is always to stay one up one step ahead of you. You will never, ever, ever, even if you catch them red-handed, it wasn't me. I don't know what you're talking about. Literally, you'll catch them red-handed and they will make you think, well, maybe maybe I didn't see that. Maybe maybe he wasn't kissing her over there. Maybe, no, maybe she, he was just kissing her. Maybe he just leaned in to kiss her on the cheek. Maybe I didn't see them making out. Never admit it. Their agenda is to make you wrong 100% of the time. And they're so convincing. And they yeah. don't, they, they are not aware that they are doing this. All they know is that they have to end up on top. And so nothing's off the table. If you have a wound that you have, you know, through vulnerability and through the relationship have shared with them, it's coming at you. Oh. You, it's yeah. coming at you. If you've shared oh. your deepest, darkest, darkest secret with them, you know, about a friendship that ended up, see, you you know why you feel this? You can't, you can't have friends, Laura. You can't keep friends. You see, you have problems with everybody. Not even your own mother likes you, Laura. It's not me. It's you. Everything, every wound that you have shared with them, they're going to stick their finger in it just to cripple you, just to throw you off track so you cannot nail their tail to a wall. That is their agenda. God, are you nailing it verbally? I love how you explain this, Lisa. It's so helpful because yes, yes, and yes. Mm -hmm. And the recovery, I want to get Mm -hmm. into that in a minute. But before we go to the recovery part of this, I just want to stay with early signs. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about early signs. Let's say someone's listening right now and they're like, you know, I'm not sure. It might be, it could be, oh my God, what if it is? What are some early signs You know, it's interesting because there are different types of narcissists. So, you know, there's a vulnerable narcissist who you might feel sorry for, you know, but, you know, and he might, the world, he'll appear as if the world is out against him and you're the only person that understands him. Um, But this type of a narcissist, you know, it's very hard to spot because we end up feeling sorry for them and they aren't the grandiose, you know, Elvis looking, you know, (laughs) you know, type of narcissist. It's, It's hard to spot. But like a vulnerable narcissist is somebody who um, wants you to feel tremendously sorry for them. And their pain is greater than anyone else's pain. You cannot possibly understand. Nope, you can't understand. Nope, you, no, you just don't understand. You, nope, they, you just can't understand their pain. Um, but most of us will bump, bump up against the type of narcissist who is grandiose type of narcissist who is um, appears very confident and that's you know women fall for confident men we want you know strong guys who can take care of us you know it's like innate um, but we have to be careful because what happens is very oftentimes when we're attracting this strong guy who's very confident if we're not looking out for the signs you know we could have attracted a predator you know, because the narcissist is like, he's a predator. And so some of the early signs are that they tend to control the conversations. Um, they can interrupt often. They lack empathy for you and other people. So, you know, pay attention to how they treat the waiter and the waitress. Pay attention to how they treat people who, 
you know, can really do nothing for them except, you know, anyone that you see if they feel better than other people, like a waitress, like a waiter, um, people who are serving you food. Um, some narcissists like to break rules and you'll see that very early on. They won't, they won't stop at red lights. Um, they won't, they'll blow stop signs. Um, they don't, sometimes they won't show up on time for you and they'll make you feel like there's something wrong with you. Um, they violate boundaries. You know, they act superior to you and other people. They have, they present with a false image. They'll name drop. They'll boast a lot about their accomplishments, about who they know. Um, they have a sense of entitlement. They can be extremely charming. So if you've bumped into a guy that you don't know and he's telling you how beautiful you are and how sexy you are, um, if you're dating and he has no respect for your boyfriend, if you're married and he has no respect for your husband, um, you know, if you have children and he doesn't really care that you have children, um, if he tries to make you feel guilty because, you know, um, you, you need to stay home with your kids and you had a date and one of the kids are sick, that's a sign. Um, they tend to minimize people. They're very passive aggressive. They can be condescending and they very often twist things. So um, it's a long list, and and depending on the type of narcissist you attracted, it's they don't all present with grandiose, you know, this grandiosity. They don't all present with that. But me, generally, if we're meeting someone at a bar, let's say, or at an event, when you meet someone, a man who is extremely, extremely seductive, be careful, be careful, because we we want to be, we want to feel sexy. You know, and when, when a man makes us feel like we're sexy, it makes us, you know, want him. It makes us feel sexier ourselves. It makes us easier to give ourselves to this person, right? Um, but when we meet someone for the first time, a healthy man is going to want to get to know us. Somebody like a narcissist, no. Their agenda is to get you to believe that they see you this way so that they can take, you, take advantage of you in the future. Well, and the girlfriend I alluded to, I'm listening to these qualities of that early signs of, and, you know, what I would say about her is she compelled me. The Mm -hmm. moment I met her, her power Mm -hmm. was oozing out of her skin, and I was just compelled. I thought, oh, my God, who is this? Mm -hmm. And she presented herself with such a confidence and such mm-hmm. a, an, an absoluteness. Yep. But in truth, she really had no interest in knowing about me. But I was right. so compelled. I was so compelled by her. I didn't even notice, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. until I did. But it was, yeah. it was this kind of crazy, um, like falling into quicksand. Definitely. So that's interesting. And then I think, you know, if we if we take the listener past the early signs, I think most of us, when we realize something's really off balance, yeah. um, I think checking in with balance is sort of a good way to, you know, ask yourself, how am I doing? Like, check in with yourself and say, do I feel aligned? Do I feel good? Do I feel met? Do I feel loved? Do I feel equal? And if none of that's coming up, yeah, then you probably are deeply into it and it's time to start finding a way out. I think the problem that we have as codependents is that we're, it's so the norm for us not to feel seen that we don't even recognize we're not feeling seen. It's mm-hmm. so the norm for us to people please that, that whatever, whatever need the narcissist has, we're eager to please it. We're eager to try to fix it. Even if it means being quiet, even if it means, you know, checking ourselves, even if it means toning ourselves down. Um, so oftentimes, codependents don't love themselves. They're not aware that there's this deep need 
for self-love and self-validation. So it's, it's very complicated, the codependent narcissistic dynamic. But I think um, what might help listeners is think of, think of a relationship as playing tennis. So when you play tennis, you know, emo- think about the ball as emotions. So if you, if you share an emotion, the person that, you, that you're dealing with should be able to mirror that back to you. So if you say, I feel tired, and you're met with, what do you feel tired about? You don't have a right to feel tired. Or, oh, you know what? You don't know what tired is. I'll tell you what tired is. You know, he, he hasn't volleyed the ball back. You know, so relationships should volley back and forth. There should be this nice, even exchange. And so if you feel like you're constantly volleying, volleying you know, hitting this ball over the net, and it never comes back, the love never comes back, the empathy never comes back, the affection never comes back. If that's what you're feeling, I think it's time to definitely reevaluate and figure out. And then ask your que- Then ask those questions. Do I feel seen? Do I feel this? Because most people don't, re- a lot of people who are in codependent relationships, they don't have a model for what healthy is. Mm. And mm. so Got it. they need to know, oh, he's supposed to volley back. Oh, he's supposed to ask me about my day. I asked him about my day. We have to get really, really practical because a lot of codependents, they don't know what a healthy relationship is supposed to feel and look like. And they're used to getting crumbs. So to them, there is no lack of cookie. It's just a crumb. And that's what's the norm. And then when you, like you said, when you are so lucky to attract this confident narcissist into your, in your life, the surgeon at the hospital, everybody loves him and you're his wife and you get to go to these parties with him, you know, sometimes you settle for that. I'm the lucky one. I go home with him. Hmm. So it's, we have yeah. to really help people understand that, you know, what a relationship needs to look like. I don't care if he's the head of surgery at the best hospital in America. He ha- if you're in a relationship with him, your feelings have to matter. You need the tennis ball to be returned. Yes. Yeah. Yes. This is a back and a forth. I care yeah. about you. I should know that you care about me. I should not be ignored. You know, your needs should not be the only needs that are being explored in this relationship. You know, if we go out to the same restaurant that you love, you know, X amount of times a a month, then once in a while, we should be able to go to the restaurant that I like, even if you don't like it. Boy, you know what you just said that really hit a nerve was when you said something about um, being tired Mm -hmm. and the response being the way you acted Mm -hmm. that out. And I realized that as a codependent, I have always felt guilty if I'm tired. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And it's very that common. just struck me. It's like, wow, that is so crazy that I would feel bad for being tired. I should mm-hmm. be able to have empathetic reactivity to tired. I, and I realize I don't know that experience like I'd like to. Yeah. And, and how it feels like it would be to have that party you met is mm-hmm. very different than the way a codependent learns mm-hmm. to be met or to mm-hmm. be loved. You asked, um, or you were talking about how these different levels of narcissism play out in a person. And one of the things I loved on your codependent show was how you talked about the beginning of a codependent's life, how they learn the language of codependency. Mm -hmm. How does a narcissist learn the language of codependency as a little person? Where does it begin and why do you become one? Well, you know, um, I've read so much about it. And there's, there's some evidence now, recent evidence 
that's saying that's proving that narcissists, um, the area of their brain that is responsible for empathy neurons, is smaller than someone else's brain that has a that the, the gray matter is intact. Their brain is of normal size. So there's evidence to prove that that there are people who are actually born with narcissism, uh, which is interesting. But people who are created, like codependents are created, what I've learned is that narcissists have had the experience of feeling extremely unseen. Many narcissists are beaten as children, and they have just learned to retreat into themselves. And their ego is protecting this wounded person. And so they are unable to even imagine that they are not good enough. They can't. And if that were to be able to, if the, if the wall cracked and the narcissist was able to feel this intense, I'm not enough, they would completely crumble. They would fall apart. They wouldn't be able to exist. So the ego has enabled them, is protecting them. I am great. I am wonderful. No one's, no one's as good as you. Everybody's wrong. Don't listen to anybody tell you that you're wrong. It's impossible that you're wrong. And that's all a false image. And that's protecting this terribly wounded being on the inside. But the problem is, the problem is, and that's really sad. That's really sad when you think about that. But the problem is that narcissists will not allow you to go there. They won't. They don't seek treatment. They don't think there's anything wrong with them. They are solidified in this false image, and they believe it. They're completely 100% committed to this idea that they are right and you are wrong. And they, and, and they exude, like you said about your friend, this, with this confidence. You know, They exude it, and they believe in it, and it's protecting them. Um, and from what I've read, it's all to protect this tiny person who on the inside was made to feel like absolute nothing, and could not find a way to make the caretakers in their life um, love them. They couldn't figure out how to how to get validation out of them. And very oftentimes, these are these are children who are severely, severely abused. And as adults, they present with narcissism. Mm, wow. Yeah. One thing I read this week when I was researching the topic at a deeper level was that it's typically rooted in unresolved and magnified feelings of inferiority and shame. Mm-hmm. Um, and then From it abuse. went on to, yeah, and it, and it went on to say, as a result, they often manipulate and exploit people mm-hmm. to fuel their delusions and fend off the threat of depression. Right. Well, which yeah, I found if, interesting. If you if you think about what's happening is so you have this you know you have this tiny little person that's in the middle of this person's soul, and then you have this ego that's like a guard. And the ego's job is to protect that tiny little person from feeling inferior because those feelings, they're all consuming, you know, Um, and they don't know, they don't know how to, no one has taught them how to process that feeling of inferiority. I mean, we all struggle with that, you know, Um, but codependents are fortunate in that they can get to a point where they can look at it and they you know hold it like like you hold a football they can say oh there's the feeling of inferiority that i've struggled with you know um and they can get through that and they can be taught coping skills whereas a narcissist cannot hold that inferiority in front of them because they have been abused so deeply that it will consume them it will absolutely consume them they they cannot look at it 
um, they're hardened to it and that's the way they survive. And so when a narcissist shows up in a room and they're so confident, you're right, what they're doing is they're mirroring this, this false image and it is alluring. And what happens is people buy into it, right? Because you give off this certain vibration. And so what they need is they need you to reflect back to them this false image and that keeps them safe and that keeps them protected from the real hole within them, which is I am nothing. Hmm. Wow. All right. So now we got to go to breaking free because mm-hmm. there's so much juice and all the ways that we've uncovered this reality and this realization. And now someone wants to break free. Mm-hmm. How, how, how to start that, how to get out, how to be done with that sort of unhealthy, toxic relationship. But then there is a particular way to break free that I really want you to talk about because it's tricky as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, and this is why I do what I do because, you know, to there are so many steps that one would need to take and this is a process, you know, and to break, it's an addiction. We have an addiction to these people. Codependency, we're addicted to feeling needed. Um, We're addicted to the hope that we might gain this person's confidence, this strong person's validation. And so there is an addictive quality to it. Um, But I try to, you know, for the sake of this radio show, I, I try to condense the process. And so I call them the three A's. It's awareness, accountability, and ascension. So what that means is that we need to become aware, obviously, of the relationship that we're in. We have to become aware of the patterns because codependent and narcissistic relationships, it's all about patterns. I don't see me. You don't see me. So I ignore me and I've attracted somebody who ignores me. So the second step is accountability. We have to become responsible for telling our truth. We have to become super responsible for how we feel. Uh, journaling is huge. Wake up every morning, figure out how, you know, how do I feel? How do I feel? What do I think? What's happening? Where's the pattern in my life? You know, um, combining awareness and accountability that will raise your ability and your consciousness. And so what will happen is you'll be seeing this relationship from the outside rather than from the inside. And that's very important. And then ascension is about vowing not to ignore the self. It's about vowing to work on ascending out of these patterns. Um, you know, it's if you're married to a narcissist, it's 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 very difficult in that you know we can't just say we'll go no contact. There's a whole divorce process, and before that, there's the emotional divorce. You know, and before that, there's this awareness and this grieving process. But definitely. If I had to give you a short list of what I wanted the listeners to take away, it would definitely be the three A's. Be aw- become aware, become accountable, and cons- think about ascending out of this. In other words, we don't yeah. want to keep repeating this. Yeah, yeah. And I want to go a little deeper with the idea mm-hmm. of being an observer yeah. to yourself. There's something mm-hmm. comforting about that when you can say to yourself, just just be your own observer, mm-hmm. you know, and, and as you're journaling, what do you see? And it's safe to say that to yourself, even mm-hmm. if you don't think it's safe on the outside, you mm-hmm. know, just know in your own core that, oh, this this is what I see when I observe myself. And it's well, okay, whatever it is. Absolutely. And so, you know, when we're in a codependent narcissistic relationship, we're unaware that we're in this dynamic. We're unaware. We're just living out patterns. We didn't feel seen as children. And now we don't we don't see ourselves. No one no one said, Hey, how do you feel? What do you think? What do you want? 
you know, when your needs are not routinely checked in with, then as we grow up, we are unconscious to the fact that we don't have that data. We No one checked in with us, so we're not checking in with us, you know. We're just trying to get our needs met by, you know, being in relationships and we're unaware that we're seeking validation. Um, we don't know that we're doing it. We've been abused in a narcissistic way, you know, in childhood. Now we attract people who can't see us. So we're below the veil of consciousness, as I like to say. Mm. And, you know, um, I believe that until we awaken, we are living out a holographic life. Um, We are stuck in patterns and we don't know it. And we're stuck in belief systems and we don't know it. And so, you know, I know for me, waking up out of my narcissistic relationship with my ex-husband it allowed me to gain consciousness. I was not aware. I was not aware. I was not a conscious human being. That relationship taught me what it meant to be self-aware. And I began to observe myself. And I stepped out of my relationship. And I began to, um, you know, in journaling, I began to write out my story about why I manifested this person. How was he like my childhood? What did he represent? And I realized he was my mother. He was a passive-aggressive, narcissistic-type person who lived to invalidate me. Everything I said, oh, that's so stupid. Oh, you're so crazy. What are you talking about? You know, minimized me, never validated me. And through observing myself, through journaling, I was, be- I was able to find the pattern. Hmm. And so, yeah. and you're right. Very helpful. You're right. You cannot judge yourself because when you're unaware, you don't know that you're unaware. You're unaware, you're unaware. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So one thing I always hear, and I wanted you to talk about it is cut off all ties with the ex if they're the narcissist, don't have any contact. In fact, I read something this week that said, you shouldn't have any contact because the moment the narcissist knows that you see them, they will already have tried to destroy you. Well, what happens usually is that if you find the strength to go no contact, you know, so if you have a friend who's a narcissist, I, you know, you want to go no contact, you know, what will happen is, you know, they'll probably come at you like, how dare you end this relationship? I, it's going to have to end on my terms, you know, and they have to leave the relationship feeling like it was their agenda to do so, um, which is fine, whatever, as long as the relationship ends. But when we go no, no contact, it's very important that we understand that there are times when this narcissist will try to come back. When you open the door, what you have to understand is they're going to try to bait you just like they did when they first met you. And when you open the door, they will probably present trying to be very nice to you or they'll act like, you know, they get it, you know, temporarily. And as soon as they feel like you're back to that position where you're seeing them, they bring the hammer down. The dynamic starts all over again. So it's very important that the narcissist is seeking people that they can be one up on. They're seeking people who see themselves less than them. Hmm. That's how they survive. They can't survive with people who are not going to mirror back this, you're better than me. They can't survive. So then breaking all contact is healthier because then there's no chance for that pattern to play out. Yes. Even if you are just friends or you are divorced, but you decide to try to be cordial, there is no such thing. I, I, you know, I, I don't like black and white thinking, you know, I mean, 
I think once you heal, like I can deal with my ex-husband now because I know who I am. I know his game, you know. Um, so if he says something ridiculous, I can just, you know, I'm sorry you feel that way. <laughs> you know, that's my favorite phrase with him. Well, I'm, you know what? You're entitled to your opinion. I'm really sorry you feel that way. That's the <laughs> way I push it back. Like, okay, whatever. Whereas before I used to open my mouth and I would ingest it and it would get inside every cell of my being. I am worthless. I am nothing. I am crazy. Where now it's just... I'm rubber and you're glue, <laughs> you know, push it right back. Um, and so I do think that people can get that healthy and they can be around a narcissist, even someone that they've been in a relationship with before, but not until they get healthy, not until they understand the dynamic and not in- until they've healed the wounds that this narcissist has created and not until they really understand the game. The narcissist is more afraid than you are. Can you explain that a little bit? Sure. So a narcissist's agenda is to make sure that people never see their their true fear. And their true fear is that I am really nothing. I am nothing. I am I am nothing. I am absolutely nothing. Um, think about the Wizard of Oz who was behind the curtain. You know, it was this older man behind the curtain. Um, but we all believed he was this great, you know, this great wizard, you know. Um, so... A narcissist's agenda is to make sure that nobody ever sees how truly vulnerable and inferior they feel. And so they are terrified that 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 will ev- that might be revealed. Terrified. Um, again, this is all below the veil of consciousness, but that fear is what is fueling this need to demand that other people see them somewhat this particular way. They actually demand that you see them as superior, if not to you, to everyone. And that is all to, that's all to help. Remember, what they're seeking is mirrors. So if, if your friend is a narcissist and she's in a room, her, she has to feel like the people that she's looking at are mirroring back this sense of, wow, she's just awesome. She's, <laughs> she's just amazing. And that plays into her on a psychological sense, in that 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 allows her to to feel further removed from the sense of inferiority that she really feels. Yeah, yeah. Are narcissists categorically liars? I would say I would lean more towards yes, because they will say anything to not get caught. So if they have to lie, they will lie. Um, you know, and sometimes they're just delusional. You know, I've, I knew someone, a friend of mine, who would say that he knew people that he didn't know. And I wondered if he believed it. He was so convincing. And so it's, 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 it's hard to say yes, yeah, completely yes, because it's, it's, I don't think it's a black and white answer because, you know, they absolutely will lie if they have to. And some narcissists lie about everything just to, just, just to um, get the feeling that people are looking up to them and adoring them. So, but I, was, I would lean more towards, yes, narcissists are liars. Because this, uh, this ex-friend is so alive in this conversation today, but she would create grandiose stories mm-hmm. that were very much based on imaginary things mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. she presented them as if they had happened or they were oh. fact and they were fabulous things like you Absolutely. were just like oh my god you're kidding me oh you stayed in that hotel little did you know the hotel hadn't even been finished but mm-hmm. she actually had 
some sort of belief that she had done this or created it as if she had, and it was crazy. But you didn't know it was the lie until you found out the hotel hadn't been built. But it really was crazy how you'd get pulled in, the fish, the hook. I was just going to say that. Just think about her throwing out <laughs> throwing out the fishing, the fishing line, pulling in the reel, and having all these little fish follow this story. And there she is in the middle of this crowd. And everyone's yeah. like, ooh, and ah, and ah. And, and the mo- as she's sitting in this, this moment of having everybody ooh and ah, you have to know that what's happening is the inferiority in her is being soothed. Mm, yeah. Even if it's a lie, even if it's delusional, the agenda is to soothe and remove yourself psychologically as far as you can from this terrible feeling, this real wound of complete, complete inferiority. Yeah. Yeah. I want to stay with recovery and I want to stay sure. with breaking free for a moment. Sure. One thing that I think is important in the recovery process, let's assume you're now free from this narcissist, whether fully out of contact or um, where Lisa described she's come with her ex-husband, which is way down the road. But let's say you are in any stage of recovery and you're trying to figure out where to file this experience in your mm-hmm. brain, right. how to not feel crazy because mm-hmm. you've been through it. And I think that's really important to go back to because when you do get out of it, you look back on it and you do feel crazy. You mm-hmm. do feel like, oh my God, what what happened to me? Where mm-hmm. where did where did the time go? What what can I learn from it? Mm-hmm. But where do you put it? Because what you thought it was is more of an illusion than a reality and so then how do you make sense of the time that you invested from your own heart mm-hmm. that was reality I th- well for me is that the first thing that helped me was I acknowledged that it wasn't my fault that I was below the veil of consciousness I understood and I totally believe that you know I know that people are born asleep men are born asleep we're born into a dream like dream wave state and that's why infants sleep so much I know that you know um, all children are in a hypnotic brainwave state until the age of seven literally our parents our our teachers our caretakers the authorities in our lives are really our hypnotists so for me what I did was I be I understood that really wasn't my fault I was acting out what I had been taught my dad's a narcissist my mom's a codependent I was doing what I was taught to do so acknowledging that it wasn't my fault and then forgiving myself um, and then I have a file in my mind that I call Maya Angelou and she says when you know better you do better and my version of that is if I knew better I would have known better (laughs) I didn't know better and so you know we also have to appreciate that grieving is essential and grieving is you are going to grieve because when you're in a codependent narcissistic relationship you have such high hopes you believe in this person especially if they're extremely confident. You know, they make promises that they never fulfill. You believe in a future that is not going to happen. You see yourself with this friend forever, or you see yourself with this spouse forever. And so you're grieving a future, the future that you're not going to have, which is very difficult to do, but it's necessary. You're grieving the past, you know, and so... Here you are in the now with all this loss. 
And then when you start to realize that it, it was built on fantasy, this narcissist is living and breathing in, an, in a delusional world and will leave this planet disconnected from the true self, never being healed. And you got caught up in it like the Tasmanian devil. You got caught up in it. So I think for what I'd like to ask people to do is just really acknowledge that it's not your fault. You know, if you've attracted a narcissist into your life, then more than likely there's a wound there that created that relationship, those relationship dynamics or made that relationship dynamic possible, and that's not your fault. Um, acknowledging that, you know, until we awaken, we, we follow through with patterns. Um, and definitely, you know, tell yourself and absolutely know that now that you know, now that you have this information, this is awesome. Because with this information, you can move ahead in the, in, in the future, you know, creating different relationships. So I hope that helps. That helps a lot. And I'm going to add to that because as I was listening to you give a great deal of steps for people to try to follow, the other thought I came to that I've done is I have preserved the memories mm-hmm. that were real for me. Awesome. And I want to I keep them in a photo album in my mind, not literally, but in my mind, I think I don't want what I thought to have been real that is now tainted to be deleted as I lived it. And mm-hmm. so forgiveness has, after a lot of the grief came forgiveness, and the forgiveness for me was to be able to have the memories that I want to have that were mine mm-hmm. and not to let where it went taint that and that helps I think when there's family involved or children or you know uh, marriages are different than friendships but I think that it all helps to have somewhere you put it that is what it was and it's no longer but what you remember that's good keep it good you mm-hmm. know, don't delete, don't delete that file if, if you can help right. it, because it can start to feel like it all goes dark yep. when you finally understand this pattern. Yeah, I agree. It's forgiveness and it's acceptance. It's surrender. You know, um, it's all of that, all of that stuff that we have been born to learn how to deal with, you know, um, and let go of, you know, um, when you, when you're growing, there's so much that's changing and there's so much that we eventually learn to acknowledge, forgive, accept, and then let go of. You know, for me right now, I can deal with my ex-husband um, in love and light, and, and I do wish him love and light. So I let go in love and light. I'm not kidding. There was a time where I was very angry. Um, luckily, I've been able to forgive myself for that and even forgive him because I know a little bit about his history. I don't think he shared everything, but I know that there are a lot of deep, deep wounds there, and I understand why he wants to move through life, not tapping into that. But I don't have to be a victim anymore, and neither do my kids. We don't have to be victims of that. And so I wish him well, but I also, you know, I also see him as um, a bear who's got his legs, like, trapped in a, a bear trap. And mm-hmm. if you go get too close to him, if you get too close to that wound, if you try to release that clamp, he's, he's taking a swipe at you. Because he's in so much pain. And so I've learned to say namaste. I see you. I accept you. I I acknowledge you. And I choose to live my life this way and away from you. And I wish you well. I wish you well. Yeah. Yeah. 
And and I loved that sentence because he's in so much pain. Mm-hmm. And that, that's been a great one for me to work with too is, you know, because he's in so much pain. Mm-hmm. And that's the seed of their suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, Lisa, one thing I want to tell everybody before we have to go is just how to get support from you on the web and otherwise, but also just to know that this is a process for everybody Mm -hmm. listening. What I think we've really beautifully done today is shown how all these layers of recovery, whether you're a codependent, whether you're uh, in love with a narcissist, whether you're just getting to the point where you're aware there's something wrong or you are breaking free and on your way to full recovery, it's a process. It's a practice. Every day you do something to bring you closer to mm-hmm. yourself. And I do think that there is great help out there. And one of the way, I mean, this show for me, one of the greatest things has been giving people an environment where they can get information about stuff like this and safely get help. So how do people work with you? Um, well, you know, one of the things that I've created, you know, I, I create books and programs and webinars and YouTube videos that I wish were available 15, 20 years ago. Because when I began to understand I was codependent, I was like, okay, yeah, now where do I go with that? You know, I need practical tools. I have to get through the day. I have three kids. I'm clinically depressed, you know? So what I've done since, since I've become aware and created, you know, what I've created, I, I now create programs that deal with this that are step related. So I have a 12-week breakthrough coaching program that is geared towards helping people heal from codependency and from narcissistic abuse. And there was a time where I thought that I could create this program and just make it available, you know, 24/7, but I realized that people are healing because I'm involved. So I am involved with the people who take take my class. I have a team that I've trained and coached. And we take people on a 12-week journey, like you said, because this is a process. There is an awareness to this. We have to teach people how to become accountable for what they feel, how to talk about how they feel, how they feel, how to set boundaries with people. And we've got to help people learn how to set goals because codependents make their life about everybody else's life. Um, so this is a process. So I've created a 12-week breakthrough coaching program. It's We're in week five right now. I'm coaching a class. I relaunch in March. You can find out more about that at www.lisaaromano.com. And um, I have a great Facebook group. Look me up on Facebook. And so essentially, if you want to get in touch with me, that's the best way to do it, through my website. Awesome. And that's the great thing about a good website. I just made mine work in one site, lararedmond.com, because Mm -hmm. you click on, you find what you need. And Mm -hmm. if you want to work in a group, I love what you offer. Mm -hmm. And I'm a fan of working with people one-on-one. You can Mm -hmm. find me on the web for that, too. Together, we are a rock and roll team, Lisa Mm -hmm. Romano. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love talking to you. I feel like we have a beautiful symbiosis. Sure. Um, Thank you so much for your time today. I wish you a happy holiday. Oh, you too. And uh, again, Lisa, your website is www.lisaromano.com. And I'll just mention I'm running five webinars, five recorded webinars through the holidays for people who are feeling down and feeling alone, free webinars. And if you look me up on Facebook, you you can find out that information. Awesome. And thanks for reminding everybody that you complete you, you complete you. Yay. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening.
listening to Feel Good Naked Radio with Laura Redmond. Please join us live again next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until our next show, be you and feel great in your own skin.